Hello, everyone, and welcome to Close Readings. I am your host, Kamran Javadizadeh, and I can't tell you how excited I am today to have Hanif Abdurraqib on the podcast. Um, Hanif has chosen a poem called Job Security um, by a poet named Uman Kara to talk about today. And we're going to get to that poem in a minute um, and um, and talk about it as we do um, here on Close Readings. But before we do that, I just want to tell you a little bit about our guest. Uh, Hanif Abdurraqib is a poet, an essayist, and a cultural critic from Columbus, Ohio. He's the author of two full-length collections of poems. So The Crown Ain't Worth Much, which came out in 2016, and A Fortune for Your Disaster in 2019. He's also the author of three books of prose. So those are They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us in 2017, which is a collection of essays, a book called Go Ahead in the Rain. I really love that book. Uh, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest, um, which was published in 2019. I probably don't need to tell you about it because it was a New York Times bestseller. It was long listed for the National Book Award. And then even more recently, um, Hanif wrote a book called The Little Devil in America, Notes and Praise of Black Performance, uh, published in 2021. And that book was a finalist for the National Book Award and the National Book Critics uh, Circle Award. And then I'm I'm especially excited to say Hanif is, um, has a book that's going to be coming out, I think, in March of 2024 called There's Always This Year on Basketball and Ascension. Uh my birthday is in March. And when I saw that book <laughs> was slated for publication in March, I was like, oh, that's very nice of Anif to um, write a book as a birthday present for me, because that sounds like um, a book that I need um, and I will be getting. Um, and I'm uh, I, I, I'm happy to recommend it to you without having read it yet myself. And Hanif is someone I've been dreaming of having on the pod for a long time. He's a wonderful poet. I, I love in particular uh, the suite of poems, all with the same title, how can black people write about flowers at a time like this, um, which appear in a fortune, um, a fortune for your disaster? Um, those poems, they take the full measure of being human. Um, they have a, a sort of a quiet faith that any real engagement with beauty will inevitably address, or maybe not address, but um, I don't know, hold, uh, perhaps in reserve, uh, the knowledge of the world. Uh, which is related to what I love about his essays, his criticism. His tastes are so obviously humble and open. He is a curious critic. Um, they, his tastes range from things like, say, you know, Tribe Called Quest to uh, a musical artist like Gillian Welsh, um, both, both artists I love. Um, but also, you know, in that open-mindedness, the way it works is he's not just a cipher. He's not just an impersonal critic. I think to read an essay uh, by Hanif is to be there, um, to see him there listening. And, um, and I think what makes his criticism work is its constant willingness to trace the lines between self-understanding and the attentions paid to beautiful things, whether those things are songs or flowers or other kinds of performance and art. Um, so with that, I just want to say, Hanif, welcome to the podcast. I want to ask you how you're doing today and, um, and say thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time. Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, in the spirit of honesty, I, I don't, I'm not doing very well. I think that, um, well, which I don't think is unique. And I do want to stress that, of course, there are, um, you know, folks globally who are in more tenuous situations than I am. I am talking to you from a home that is not under threat of bombardment. I have electricity, I have internet, I have clean water. And so, you know, these are, um, well, those are, those are causes for gratitude, but I, I do think the, um, the act of, of bearing witness to the world has, uh, has, has caught up with me in a way. Um, I mean, I think, you know, witnessing is both the responsibility that I don't think is a, a burden. Like, I don't think anyone should be burdened with, with, with the act of witnessing, because if we divorce ourselves from the work of being witnessed, then history gets rewritten, um, mm -hmm. in ways that are not as generous and ways that are just not not real in ways that don't accurately portray the brutalities inflicted upon the most marginalized folks among us so you know I, um yeah. that said I, I do think um you know depending on what is being asked to, to be witnessed uh witnessing can take a toll um and i think yeah. you know speaking of what one, one witnesses can take a toll and um so all these things but but i'm i'm very glad to be here and i'm really grateful that you took the, that you took the time to 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 have me on well i'm really um i'm really glad you said that um you know i'm 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 feeling it too um and when i ask the question i don't ask it you know wanting anything other than the truth you feel comfortable sharing so For i sure. i appreciate I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I guess, um, I guess there's a sense in which, you know, like even as you know, like this, I, I stopped doing this podcast for a little while. Like I took a little break, you know, just life stuff catching up, you know, and, and then rejoining it in a time that feels like, you know, a time of, um, of real crisis and peril for people, as you say, who, um, um, have um, nothing like the security that I enjoy and require to be able to do a thing like this does have me wondering from time to time, like, sh should I be doing this at all? Um, and, uh, you know, um, not to be too cute about it or, or try to be um, clever or whatever, but, you know, those poems that I refer to, those poems of yours um, in the intro, um, are among the things that for better or for worse lead me to think, um, you know, if we can make the time to talk about a poem, then it might be a, it might be a worthwhile thing to do. Um, but just more personally, like, I, I just want to say, um, thank you for making, um, making the time to be here. Oh, of course. Yeah. I really love yeah. the show. And as someone who, um, you know, I, I think I'm very, um, moved by and drawn by listening to poets talk about poems in part because of the way that I came to poetry was not through, um, quote unquote, formal education or any kind of school. Yeah. And so, you know, I came to poems just by way of, um, kind of feeling around in the dark and then finding a light switch. Um, and, and this is, this show has, has offered that experience or watching people, uh, go through that experience, watching other poets go through that experience has been really fulfilling and fruitful. So thank you for, um, yeah. you know, for, for making this. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been my pleasure. I mean that literally like it has given me pleasure to do it and it's very gratifying to think that it's reached people like you and others out there who, um, find something meaningful in it. So, 
um, you know, like I say, when I invited you on, I was, um, I was ready for anything and you found, um, and I was really happy about this, um, a poet whose work I didn't know at all, which is so exciting. Um, and I, I wonder, um, just before we get to, you know, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to read the poem. Um, do you, I mean, can you tell us anything about like, do you remember where you came across this poem, what you thought of it? Um, or what it was like to encounter it for the first time, or how maybe how you've been carrying it around in your mind since you read it. I mean, I know it's a very recent poem, right? Yeah, it's pretty recent, although I was um, familiar with this poet's work a bit before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, th- that that does bear mentioning. Like there was, yeah. there was a familiarity I had with the work, and so I think there was a, a way that, um, you know, uh, their name, their name kind of like sprung to life for me. Yeah. But also I, I lo- so this poem was published in protein magazine. Um, I think this year and yeah. early this year and protein is, you know, I really admire the work they publish. Um, you know, I, I don't publish poems as much as I used to. I, I really don't. I, I mean, it's a very rare instance, um, where I publish poem and that's, you know, I think that, um, some of that is just quite simply because I, you know, I want to make the space for other folks and, um, and I'm just selective, you know, I'm selective about where I put my work and protein is one of those places that, you know, I've, I've, I've been one of the rare places I've been published in the last like three years. And I, yeah. I turned to protein because I think they, um, you know, are publishing poems at the kind of intersection of my political interest, but, um, you know, poems that are, that are also just kind of plainly beautiful um, and articulations around labor and capital and empire. Um, and so, I mean, I'm kind of always tapped in with the things they publish. And if I, yeah. you know, if I kind of get busy for a month or so, then I kind of go through the archives and that that's a really delightful practice for me. So this, this came up yeah. because I was, you know, I kind of have always have an eye towards what, what protein is publishing. Yeah. So you say, um, that you have not really been writing or publishing poems much of late, or I think you said publishing. I'm, publishing. I, I I've definitely been writing them. You've been writing them. Okay. For sure. been writing them. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it takes, I, I just, um, I begun to think differently about what, what, a, what a publication of a poem means. You know, I came up in poetry slam and I had right. no interest in traditional publication, which meant that for me, um, you know, publishing a poem meant reading it aloud in a room. And, right that is really that's you know that has been a really appealing thing for me this year particularly when i've been you know kind of doing these i've uh, i set out to do these way like really more intimate readings um you know reading for about 50 people 40 to 50 people um yeah. gearing up in part for a much larger more public facing book tour next year mm-hmm. but also kind of just reading things that are new and and saying you know you you get to hear this published first um this is publishable you know this is this is published right. work between us in this room and right. I, i've kind of returned to the excitement of a poem feeling like that and um and, and so that has been you know really thrilling and so yeah i mean um i've been writing a lot of poems for sure but i don't know that i've been um publishing in the traditional sense that, right. that people i think would consider 
Right. And I want to apologize to you and to others if my dog is audible in the background here. But um, um, what kind of what kind of dog do you have? She's mixed. She's, um, you know, people ask me that. I say like, oh, a, a crazy dog. That's what kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love her. Her name is Agnes. She's like 50 pounds of quivering, um, like muscle that is just dying for any squirrel that comes across her path or, or postal worker. You know, so <laughs> she's she is great. She's great. Um, um, all right, Hanif. Um, let's let's um let's think about this poem. I think the first thing we should do, if if you'd be willing, is I, I want to invite you to read it out loud. And I just want to say um, to listeners that we will put a link. Um, to the text of the poem in the episode notes. So if you want to um, read along, you'll be able to find it there. Um, but Hanif, would you uh, be willing to read the poem out loud? Sure. Thanks. This is Job Security by Umen Kalra. I tell M I'd love to have something lined up. What a particular post-apocalyptic peculiarity. Comfort in the planned future. The refrain of flaming trees only goes so far. The fire has to stop once it has burnt the last of it down. Are we the last of it? I can't apply for jobs without thinking of the funeral. I tell my mother I am not having children because I don't trust the world they'd grow into. The truth is, I'd rather keep my money, my sanity, etc. We are looking at shirts that go hard on mine. We are looking at the carcasses of houses. We are looking at each other, thinking of when we could have held hands. What does job security taste like through the smoke? What does apocalypse feel like when it keeps fucking going? What do we call it now? I remember thinking, wow, the kids are calling it an emergency. Wow, the kids are calling it a crisis. Wow, the kids are calling it the apocalypse. What does it mean to name the thing that will kill you? I'd love to have something lined up. I'd love an ending less severe. What are your strengths and weaknesses? What does it mean to name the thing that will kill you? Well, th thanks so much, Hanif. Uh, so that's Job Security by Uman Kalra. Um, Hanif, um, I... Uh, you know, one thing I'd want to know from you f first off is like, I'm curious about that kind of gesture in the first line of the poem. I tell M, you know, there's a kind yeah. of like familiar familiarity in it, but also a sort of anonymity at the same time, you know, uh, maybe the people in this poet's circle know who that's in reference to, but obviously as a broader public, we don't really, it seems like we're not really supposed to. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, taking that as a kind of particular instance or detail, um, what, how does that help you think about how a poet or this poem creates the sense of, like, um, my talk's growling at me. If you're <laughs> growling right now, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's an Eve. It's not that me. That is not me. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is Agnes. I don't know if you can hear it. The mic might pick it up. My question really, and then I'm going to mute myself and let you talk is, um, you know, that little M gesture it, it, or how, how does that create the feeling of like, Oh, this poet is talking to me as a reader in a particular way. Like what kind of tone is that setting for you? 
Yeah. An interesting thing that I, I think about in my own life is that I've gotten really good. Um, if I'm being frank, I've gotten really good as um, my work has become more public facing in a way that is brought interest into my own individual life. I've gotten very good at this trick that I call kind of um, suggesting intimacy, right? So sharing things that feel intimate while really not offering any information, right? So there's a difference difference between the emotion of intimacy and information delivery. Um, let's consider the approach of, say, Frank O'Hara, right? Who, in a poem like The Day Lady Died, uh, is really kind of using that as a container with which he talks about buying things for his friends. I mean, so many of his poems are right. almost as if we're dropped into conversations in progress, and he uses the full names of his friends, which... Yeah. In turn, even if you don't know them, it feels like you are there present in the conversation or when he's thinking fondly of a friend, he shares their name to the public as though there is no barrier between the fond thought and you. You may actually, through being present, become the friend who is being fondly thought of, right? Right. Um, what I really love about this gesture is that it offers that, but not fully, you know? I mean, it offers... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I notice this with writers and I've begun to do it myself where I sign emails with just my the first letter of my name. And I don't know, I think I began to do that solely because I saw other writers doing it. And I thought, oh, this is just how writers communicate with each other. You know, this mm -hmm. is just the dialogue. This is a container of dialogue with which we operate in. And that's so that's what we do. But I think and I, I don't know, I, you know, what I love about the gesture here is that it, it suggests some int intimacy at the entryway. But actually, um, M yeah. in this poem is really kind of left behind the door. It's like the, this person is being greeted at the doorway to the poem, but then we step inside the poem and that person is still outside, right? And so this is a mm -hmm. nod to say, um, I am not only alone in the conversation, right? Um, right? Which I think leaves room anytime a poem is populated with another living person, because I think so often yeah. poems, an, another living actual person who is in relationship to the speaker, not like a pop culture figure uh, yeah. or not like a ghost. I mean, a living person in um, even just that single nod to that, right? Which is less has less to do with the person or their initial or that name, the single nod to I am in community, in conversation with, in concert with a li another living person. For me, opens the door wide enough to say, I also a living person. And perhaps in this, you know, it widens the circle. Right. It, it widens the circle where the conversation is being had, even if, even if we are kind of only at a mention of an initial. And, and oh, that that's so beautiful. And and maybe in a way by like withholding the particularity of whoever, you know, whatever the other letters of that, you know, that follow the M and what, whoever else that person is, um, it, it sort of allows for the reader to step into something like that position or to feel almost as though they're being addressed in that way. I mean, you know, like another thing I'm noticing, it, it's the word right before the M and I promise we won't keep going backwards. We're going to go forward at some point. But the the verb tense of I tell is kind of interesting to me. I mean, it's super like colloquial. It's the way people talk, but it, I, I feel like the poem would be different if it said something like I told M, you know, but it's like I tell makes it seem almost like it's happening kind of now as the poem. 
It's like telling yeah. M is a way of telling you the reader instead, you know? Yeah. The, the tense of these things are important, right? Because um, to use the O'Hara thing yeah. uh, or, or even to um, go forward and use someone like Ross Gay, whose work is often, or the population of his poems um, are often operating in memory when he brings up, even though the people are brought up often, um, you know, with their full names, or even if he doesn't use their full names, as just kind of like my friend, you know, right. you realize that, but it's operating from a standpoint of, of memory. And that isn't, I'm not saying that that's, um, you know, uh, there's still real presence there, but in the, in the current tense of, I tell I am in, conversation with again it it says like you are also invited it's a it's a different kind of invitation right, right. in one realm where we're invited to long for or mourn or miss in another realm we are invited to a type of action i think an action in progress right right and so the present tense makes it if i'm hearing you right like um yes it's 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 clear by implication that it's a memory but it's a memory that is being sort of replayed in the present tense, which allows you to sort of engage with it and 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 turn it into your own present life in some way. Right. Yeah. You could turn. I think um, yeah. turning inward. Uh, yeah. I think while yeah. not ignoring what's happening outward, which is yeah. the the momentum of the poem. Good. Good. So so that first that first line break. I'd love to have something. So if you're not looking, there's a line break there. Something yep. break, and then we have quotation marks around the phrase lined up um and then a, a particular and then there's a there's a kind of reflection um after a, a couple of colons on that phrase so i guess hanif i i want to invite you to to talk about sort of the work the poem does with the phrase lined up which is not a phrase i had ever before reading this poem thought about in the ways the poem sort of invites me to um and i want to know sort of what what that phrase is doing for you oh lined up is you know yeah. you know what's drawn i'm so drawn to this poem because i am someone who you know again like i don't have any kind of uh quote unquote not only formal training in poems but writing and i, I you know much of my life i mm -hmm. was poor and i worked odd jobs and the whole idea you know um i think often about times where i worked very briefly would um work two very similar jobs like me working two jobs wasn't uncommon but right. uh oftentimes they were different like say i would be i would serve at a diner in the morning and then work at a call center at night right but sometimes right. i would work two serving jobs because that other serving job was the one i had lined up so that uh -huh. if it if it went better than you know you're testing the waters to see like what the tips are like, and if the tips were better at that second serving job, then I had that lined up and I could leave the other one, you know. Uh -huh. And so um, what I actually love about the idea of to have something lined up means to kind of um, plan for a future, and to plan for a future means that you are anticipating a future, and to anticipate a future is to ignore the apocalyptic realities of the present or not even right. ignore ignore might be a harsh word to downplay the apocalyptic realities of the present which we all have i mean which to be clear we are um many of us are required to do 
because yeah. there is a world that exists outside of us. I we have to take some of us have to take care of children, of elders, of of the parts of our world that rely on us at least planning for the next hour. Right. You know? And so for me, um, lined up is a kind of, uh, particularly because it echoes towards the end, but it's, um, it, it operates as this kind of, um, sense of longing, not for the work, right? I'd love to have something lined up to me. doesn't mean I would love to have another job. It Mm -hmm. mostly to me in this poem operates as I would love to have the optimism that would allow me to seek whatever will sustain me in the future. Or I would love to have a belief in the future that is um, strong enough because I think that is what I run up against, right? When it comes to futurescaping. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Is, is, is the, so right. So the, the, the implication is that whatever is happening now is, is endurable in, in some way, you know, that, that it's a it's a kind of um a landing spot waiting for you um if you need it and and that that suggests that whatever whatever crisis you're undergoing now is um is something that you're going to be able to survive right um, yeah. yeah yeah and i mean i get that um you know this is what i'm seeing now i'm seeing this so often now but mm-hmm. now i mean the past month right yes. um is people kind of being like, I don't really know how I'm supposed to just do things. I'm, I don't know how I'm supposed to just right. like watch videos of children being pulled from rubble and then respond to an email about mm-hmm. whatever or hop in a meeting about whatever. And I think that is our actual natural human, very human impulse pulling us turning ourselves, turning our faces towards an apocalyptic reality, which I think for many of us, we have been conditioned to just endure Um, and not necessarily even ignore, but just endure. Like I remember um, in early 2020 when I was, I would do the thing I would do at night. I would like look at the the death tolls from uh, COVID early on and just see them ticking up. And then in the morning I would get up and write. And I remember at a point saying, I can't actually, I don't want to, to separate these two things. I don't want to separate the realities of loss at this scale and then turn my brain towards that of a writer without any kind of, I don't want to divide myself in that way. And so, you know, this is also um, longing for a pulling apart of those that division, because I think right. um, in order to live in that manner, one might have to divide themselves. Right. I mean, I, I mean, it's funny because, um, or that's exactly the wrong word for it, but maybe you know what I mean. I think, um, as you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking back to the conversation we had before we turned to the poem, you know, in which, you know, you're talking about the kind of, um, the toll, um, or the, the burden, uh, I mean, though you wanted to disavow that word, but you're still sort of talking about the, um, the cost of, of, um, having your eyes open and, and being receptive to the world and sort of taking that in, um, there, as, as you describe here and now the sort of condition of being human as, um, struggling to do that on the one hand and on the other, do the 
day-to-day things that are that only really make sense if there's a future right you know and, to do them for i i mean i'm i'm thinking of both things go go on sorry but also the smallness of do you, i don't do you know the kate marvin poem uh uh why i'm afraid of turning the page i don't know it could you tell yeah, us about it or yeah um i mean I, i'm a big or fan what do we of need kate, to know yeah i'm a big fan of kate marvin's work and i actually feel like she's a poet who doesn't um I don't know. She's a poet I kind of just like stumbled upon when I was first was learning. You know, I first started reading poems in 2011 and learning how to write them in 2012. And um, forgive me because I don't remember what book this is in, but whatever book came out around that time of hers, there's a poem called Why I'm Afraid of Turning the Page. And I remember this line so vividly. Another apocalypse and your weird blondness cycling in and out of the march. Down in a bunker, we hunker, can hear the boots from miles off we tend to our flowers in the meantime. Mm-hmm. I love that part of that poem. And I, I wish I knew the rest of it off the top of my head, but I, I love that part of that poem because, um, and I know I'm like the guy with the flower imagery again, but we tend to our flowers in the meantime, um, suggests a kind of waiting for an assured destruction, but still understanding that one has to, um, do what is in front of them that that brings them some small pleasure now this poem is operating on the other side of this where yes it's not necessarily about tending to things that bring you pleasure but tending to a reality that actually might pull you back from labor which might open up some time for through which right. you can wait out the apocalypse in the midst of pleasurable things i mean i love the right. part of this poem that's like um i'm not having children essentially because i want to keep my money in my mind you know, right, right, which is a which is like a wild, um, that's like a wild admission in the poem, and yeah. one that honestly, like I, <laughs> I, I gotta be. I know we're not there yet. I know we're going line by line, and we're not yet there. We yet, don't have to. I, we can skip around a little. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but I, I, that's the kind of thing in a poem that surprises me. And I say this: I am yeah. someone who doesn't have children and also doesn't want children, and um. I don't know if my reasoning is that sharp, you know, but like it could easily be. And I remember when I got to that line, the first time I read this poem, that admission in the poem, I was taken aback by it in a way that was like a kind of how dare they, you know? Right. But, but then I fell in, I instantly, it was like that lingered for about five seconds. And I was like, I love it. I love it. Like I love, <laughs> um, because I yeah. think that if I, if I, if I really interrogated myself, my reasoning is maybe not that far off from that. And, it is something that is less neat to say yeah in the world but in a poem the poem is a place for these kind of if you are not utilizing the poem as a place for really indicting admissions or really incendiary admissions i mean the poem can be many things but it, it should be a right. site of that as well if, if not then uh you know you're never going to get to do them in 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 with any clarity in the world if you don't first rehearse them in the poem Right. I mean, I, that's beautiful. I'm not, I'm not a poet, but I would think, you know, a poem ought to be a place where you can write or write a thing that you're not sure you even mean or believe, or maybe even know what it would mean to say that. And then see what you think of it once it's down on the page, you know, kind of experimental, um, sort of thinking that phrase that you singled out, the, the truth is I'd rather keep my money, my sanity. And then there's even an, and etc after that um yeah yeah that, that sort of it, it feels like kind of accommodating of you know things like that um uh i i 
I don't mind jumping around, though I do have um, one other thought that I wonder what you would say about with respect to the lined up idea. And I and I know even that phrase does come back at the poem's end. So, you know, I think we're not going to be able to talk about this poem without jumping around to some extent. Sure. You, you know, the way my mind works and um, probably to a fault is that I'm all my my ears always kind of prick up when I hear things that sound like they could be um, sort of meta poetic moments or moments that are, are, are kind of punning on some of the, 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 the words and concepts we use to understand poetic practice. So, you know, to me, it's like interesting. In other words, I'll just say it, that the, the phrase lined up comes right after the first line break in the poem. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the idea of a poetic line as a unit, right? And the, you know, maybe the one thing that all poems, except for prose poems, of course, which we love and um, have in common is they have line breaks. And so there is this, and, and, you know, because language is linear and unfolds in time, whether it's left to right as in English or right to left as in, you know, other um, languages, um, there is a sense in which like the idea of a line break is somehow has something to do with the idea of a kind of future, but then the break is also a kind of, I don't know, maybe something like a, a kind of rupture in that future or a crisis in that future. And then there's a, a starting crisis, over, yeah. you know, flush left. Yeah. Um, so I don't know for me, so, so I just wanted to make that observation and then to invite by way of question, some thinking from you about like, what's the principle that's guiding, like how line breaks work in this poem? Like that second line ends post hyphen apocalyptic is how the third line begins. But um, I don't know. I'm, I, I guess I want to just think a little bit f- formally about this poem too. It also, if people aren't looking at it, it has these um, occasional gaps in its lines. So like spacing out between words, um, you know, in poetics, we might call them caesuras or something like pauses um, or breaks within the line. Um, so Hanif, this is just a kind of general invitation to, to reflect on the line in this poem as, as a unit of, of meaning and organization. And, and what, if anything, is interesting to you about how the line is functioning for Umankara here? Yeah, I mean, well, I like um, I like the the second line ending on post because uh, I always think someone of someone being at their post as a type of work. You know, um, I was a uh, of the I've, I've had like a hundred jobs. I, one of the jobs was that I was a uh, a night desk person at a hotel, which is actually one of the best jobs I've ever had. And um, because what you don't do it anything. so good. Oh, you, you don't really do. Yeah, you, you just kind of see. I mean, occasionally some something wild right. will pop off, but most commonly, right. you're just kind of sitting at a desk watching TV for eight hours. But um, yeah. it was always referred to as like I'm I'm at my post, you know. And yeah. so I, I like playing with that, and I also like um, the reveal of apocalyptic. As we, I, I I'm bad at line breaks. You know, one thing that um, uh-huh. I think I struggle with because of how i i'm very grateful for the the mode the modes in which i learn poems um but i think one thing that i struggle with is an understanding of line breaks especially because i i my earlier poems i never wrote using them but so what i tend to most like um when i as a reader 
is a break that feels like a reveal where it feels like um, even if the word is not on its own surprising, I think the break and presence of it can be made surprising. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, sure. I read posts with that dash there Mm -hmm. and I can assume that apocalyptic is coming, but, but when it arrives, it's a, it feels pleasurable for me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, there, there's something even, of, even if even if it's sort of terrifying <laughs> yeah know, yeah we should we should say that yeah go on yeah there's something well, yeah i mean i just yeah. yeah i just think there's something about um the way that language arrives that interests me even if yes. it's something i expect even if it's a word i i if it's a word i expect if it's a word that i would place there or if it's a word i i assumed was coming um yeah the decision and how to how to line it up is is always interesting yeah, well, and and as you say it, I'm looking even at the third line. So, so the right, the second line goes, "What a particular post line break, apocalyptic peculiarity, commands and comfort, comfort, yeah. right?" Which is another kind of way to feel maybe at the end of a line. I'm actually interested, Hanif, in what you said, like about being bad at line breaks. I'm I'm not sure. I, I mean, I have some guesses as to what you might mean by that, but I I'm curious about what what leads you to say a thing like that and and also i wonder like is there something you know you said earlier that you came up not through sort of publishing poetry but through performing poetry right through mm-hmm. through a kind of um, spoken word tradition and um and there of course the audience can't see line breaks but but maybe there's a way of um indicating them with voice or with certain kinds of formal you know um whatever it is that marks like the end of a unit um of of speech um so so that's that's super interesting to me yeah well when i was coming up my earliest poems i was writing them just to memorize them and i had and i had and still have a very very good memory and so uh, my poems um Sorry, there's a siren driving by my house, but um, it, it feels apt, right? Like, for yeah, this poem. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my poems did not really exist on the page at all. You right. know, um, they existed. You know, they existed on the page momentarily, as long as I could memorize them, and then, and oftentimes, I would memorize as I wrote. And so they really went away quick. And so yeah. I wasn't even thinking about mind breaks. I was thinking about sound. And, and I think that um, so much of my on-page movements now are also governed by sound. Um, you know, right. I still write my first drafts are in all, all in block text. And then uh-huh. I, I record myself reading the first draft. And then I play it back. Because I, I think sound and, and the voice is revelatory. Um at least in my in my work, it, it kind of tells you how it wants the language to look and move, and so yeah. I don't really determine line breaks until the the, the second draft edits, and it's all sound based. It's all based off sound. You read it, and then you think, "Oh, that's where the line break was." When you listen to the recording, or when you when you when you sort of notice what you're doing as you say it out loud. I think when I notice what I'm doing as I say it out, out loud, when yeah. I hear, um, you know, higher inflections in the work, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I feel like the pace is being picked up. And so in moments in, in reading in this poem, um, yeah. what I actually really love about these breaks is that it, it does feel, and some of this is because of the structure of the poem, the, the lines are short. It's like a short line, yep. thin, thin, long poem. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like there's a patience until it kind of picks up, it, it picks up pace um, 
around it's kind of like second act like we were looking at the shirts like yeah, oh, this kind of say right? the the anaphora yeah. like the yeah the repetition allows for a kind of of pace quickening but early on I, I think the breaks are so patient like comfort in the planned future could be one single line but i i think like the the colon and the break all these mm-hmm. things are asking people to slow down a little bit right I yeah think, structurally is that and, your reading um, of what those gaps are doing in the lines slowing you down yeah as a reader yeah. it slows me down and in a good way and not yeah. slow me down in like a hindrance my you know because i it's fascinating to me because this feels like a very urgent poem. Like it mm-hmm. feels like um, thematically, thoughtfully, all of it is deeply urgent. But um, the pace that is being like brought to the forefront through the decisions and line breaks is actually, I think, encouraging slowness. Mm-hmm. Or at mm-hmm. least, um, I don't know if slowness, I think patience perhaps is a better, it's encouraging a type of patience. And, and maybe, yeah, kind of um, precision or like yeah. um, care, you know, care. I think or care, care yeah. is the ultimate, you know, care yeah. is the thing that that takes precedent above all else. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that, that um, question. I, I was going to call it a rhetorical question, but I'm not sure that's right. Um, are we the last of it? Um, yes. So, which I think in order for that question to make sense, you have to remember that right above it, there was um, the fire has to stop once it has burnt the last of it down. Are we the last of it? You know, that's what makes me want to sort of italicize, even though it's not in the poem, the we. Um, So, um, yeah, what do you do with that question? And what kind of question is that? Are we the last of it? What I love about that is it returns the well. This poem begins in a very human way, right? The the, the um, I'd love to have something lined up is is a, a plain human. It's like a human anxiety as a starting point, but then the anxiety turns towards this imagery of um, fire and trees, like for you know the mm-hmm. the world is burning, and I feel like. Um, Climate crisis, maybe literally, but also a more general kind of the world is burning metaphorically. Yeah. But I really love the kind of harsh, jarring return to, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I get, um, I get pretty anxious about we, the use of a universal we in the poem, Mm -hmm. but the we works here, I think, because, um, we understand what the it is a little more clearly, or we understand the the leap, the metaphorical leap that's being taken with the it. We're talking about right. um, a fire has to stop once it finishes burning down the last of a forest or the last of what is in front of the fire, right? Mm-hmm. The it is whatever the fire is consuming. Once it finishes feeding on, on that, it will have to stop or it will yeah. eventually stop. Uh, if there's nothing else to consume, the fire will stop. So because we understand that movement, because we understand what is being suggested in that movement, the we not only lands more, but it's also a little more ominous. I think it's a little more frightening to come to terms with the reality that, um, you know, and I think it allows a flexibility, um, mm. you know, the, the fire becomes more flexible the image of fire, it doesn't necessarily need to be fire. So there's a flexibility in that too. Like it becomes maybe a metaphor. Right. Right. We return to the kind of, we return to the kind of broad nature of capital A apocalypse. Right. Right. Once the, whatever, whatever the apocalyptic 
um, you know, whatever the apocalyptic, not inciting point, but end right. point is, once right. that cons- consumes, uh, if there's nothing else to consume, then right. it will it will cease. Right. So 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 then we get the uh, the lines that you were referring to earlier. The um, I. Um, and actually, well, first there's the, for j- I, can't, I can't apply for jobs without thinking of the funeral. I, I'm really interested in the way, like, um, you know, I do it, I do a sort of double take there because I think on the one hand, oh, did I miss an earlier reference? But no, it's just sort of unspecified. Like there is a, a funeral and either it's what, like a, an actual funeral in, in the person's life that they've attended and are haunted by or are, or, or, or are going to have to attend. Um, or it is a funeral in some non-literal sense. Um, yeah. You have thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, um, I'm, uh, there's another poem, uh, that, is recent i think mm-hmm. um janice lobo's uh pj i forget i don't know i think i don't know how to pronounce her last name so please forgive me but it's called there will be no funeral and it opens with um the line everywhere is a cemetery and there will be no funeral and uh, um huh. which is one of my favorite opening lines in any poem ever and uh i always think about the use of invoking the funeral in a poem as a catch-all for a specific set of emotional reckonings or horrors, or even kind of like um, elevating uh, perhaps the type of elevation, right? Because otherwise I'm less, I'm less interested in a poem that, or even an essay or that treats the funeral as a site of excavation on its face. Like we're not doing like a, a piano man thing at the funeral or sitting back and, pointing out you know i'm interested in the funeral as either an inciting event that takes us somewhere else or as it appears in this poem something that has happened in the past that has forever altered the speaker so much so that they are willing to reference it as though you already understand yeah the degree to which it altered them yeah and you don't actually need to know anymore right 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 um um it 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 feels related in that sense to me to what you were talking about earlier, you know, at the very beginning of the conversation about the, the way that M sort of um, creates the intimacy without um, sort of disclosing um, um, information. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I was curious about what you said about the, we, I sort of, I get, or I think I understand where you're coming from with the sort of suspicion that you sort of naturally feel about a kind of universalizing. We, um, I wonder what you make of those with with that sort of suspicion in mind or that kind of skepticism in mind, what you make of the we in the um, three anaphoric lines. So for people who aren't familiar with that term that we're using, an anaphora um, or anaphoric is the adjective, is a kind of repetition that happens at the beginning of a series of phrases or lines in this case. Yeah. So in, in this case, it's we are looking at shirts that go hard online. We are looking at the carcasses of houses. We are looking at each other and so on. Um, That first line is very funny. Um, So talk about it, Hanif. We're talking about internet culture here, right? Right. Uh, First, I do want to say the poet, uh, I want to say Janice Lobo Sapijau. So I, or Sapijau. Janice Lobo Sapijau. I can can look for a link and maybe try to share that too. I love that poem. That poem, There Will Be No Funeral. And, um, 
you know, I just, I love her work. And so I, I wanted to get her name correct. That, so, okay. So Anaphora is interesting to me because um, as someone who is interested in kind of like rhythm and timekeeping, musical timekeeping, um, yeah. it allows for this kind of um, delightful return or the series of returns um, wherein we understand the opening will will give us the the rhythm we crave, but what happens after the opening? So we are as the opening, or we are looking at 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 the as mm-hmm. the opening that mm-hmm. that rhythmic familiarity. It provides that which is which satiates you know my hunger for a kind of um, a drum solo or a guitar solo, if you will, mm-hmm. um, something that kind of where a note stretches out for a long time and the note. Um, the note can be the same note, but it bends, you know, yeah. or it twists or it moves a little differently. So th- there's that kind of intrigues me. Um, and so Anaphora does that. It has these returns where it's kind of like we are here, but we're a little different. And I, I personally like um, how this is kind of tender. There's, I think this is a very tender poem. It's mm. tenderness perhaps um, – no more clear than it is in this moment of anaphora where we kind of go from you know looking at shirts that go hard online yes that's kind of a a a funny internet culture thing but looking at the carcasses of houses and looking at each other thinking of when we could have held hands i actually think that last we are looking uh does not you know like it has to be extended to that to that of when we could have held hands being its conclusion, not yeah. we are looking at each other because we are looking at each other on its own without that kind of like logical conclusion doesn't actually do a ton. Um, but that second part uh, again uh, brings us to the doorstep of some, some longing, which I think is really vital. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's beautiful. And longing for what longing for um, a con- an, an opportunity for connection that was missed. Right. Um, in in a in a context where time is running out, maybe, yeah. or yeah. you know, some of this I also think is uh, a consideration of the time lost while laboring in a world that is speeding towards collapse. Right. You know. Um, again, like I think a lot of what we're we're seeing, I'm at least I am seeing now with my friends is like, why am I doing the work that I'm doing? You know, yeah. why the world is ending. Why am I doing this, all of this? And so, um, you know, that there's also this kind of question of um, how much time is being lost that we could be spending with our many beloveds in many different ways. How much time is being lost by um, the amount of time that we are spending on laboring in a world that is deeply uncertain? Or in, in that question, what does job security taste like yep. through the smoke? Security in a kind of perch in, let's say, a kind of capitalist system where the the world like onto which that's grafted is itself kind of falling apart. So like what kind of security is that anyway is the idea, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, – <laughs> now right now is like no job is is secure job security is beyond um you know job security is uh a myth that i think is 
perpetuated to keep people working. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. job security is the myth that serves the serves CEOs, it serves bosses, because the mythology behind it is if you work harder or if you work hard enough, uh, then you will be granted a kind of uh, eternal comfort in the, you know, in the hallways of of the workspace. But really, um, you know, so much of what this this poem is getting at, too, is that um, the worker is is not viewed the workers viewed often as a tool or a device for furthering right. the profits or the quote unquote value of a place. And I mean that, you know, I mean that with white collar workers as much. I mean that with blue collar workers as much. I mean, it with white collar workers. Now, of course mm-hmm. there are modes of exploitation that impact some workers differently depending on the labor they're performing. Yeah. But I, I think if you are not, you know, there, there's no job security and right. the myth of job security will keep you working towards something without really defining for yourself what the something is. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, th- there's a, you know what that makes me think of it. I sort of go back to that, that line that we were laughing at earlier, the, um, the, the shirts that go hard online, yeah. um, as a kind of, um, you know, my first thought on that line is, okay, so that's, what is that a stand in for, for, for like us, for people, the, whoever the, we are in the poem being, um, sort of frivolous or finding kind of comfort in funny things, um, together, but as a kind of, um, as a way of pacifying or, um, mollifying ourselves. Um, but I, I love, and I'm like totally persuaded by your account of how that, that anaphoric rhythm then really quickly bends around. And I love that idea of a bended note into something really tender. Um, the, the idea of looking at each other, thinking of when we could have held hands. Um, the um the 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 word apocalypse comes back and as as it did mm-hmm. before it appears right after a line break which which makes me want to want to say you know the etymology of the word apocalypse means like um it comes from the word for like an uncovering you know like a right, like a revelation right. you know yeah it's like uh, greek right it's yes, the greek thing yeah yes yes that's right that's right so um, so it's, it's like, um, a- apocalypse as not as the, I mean, if you think about it that way, it, it, it would make more sense to think of apocalypse, not as the, um, sudden emergence or appearance of a thing that was foreign and hadn't been there, but the kind of stripping away of some kind of false comfort to reveal, the thing, the kind of danger that had been lurking all along, you know, right. but it's uncovered in other words. Right. Um, and, and here the, the kind of question that seems to be being asked is like, well, maybe we thought of apocalypse as like an event that would happen that would end everything. But, but instead the condition we find ourselves in is as a, a kind of um, ongoing apocalypse. Like this a, is Franny you know, Choi's whole thing. Yeah. Right. This is Franny Choi's whole it. thing. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Franny yeah. Choi, I mean, their last book, and I think their, um, I mean, most notably, most notably their poem, The World Keeps Ending and the World Keeps Going On, uh, which opens with the line, and I hope they don't listen to this because I don't want to fuck up their work or their line. <laughs> um, okay. bef- before the apocalypse, there was the apocalypse of boats, boats of prisoners, boats cracking under sky iron, 
boats making corpses, uh, something about algae on the shore. Before the apocalypse, there was the apocalypse of a bomb mosque. And it kind of goes on like that. There was the apocalypse of leaving and having left. Before the apocalypse, there was an apocalypse of planes and pipelines. And and um, is to say that all of these things accumulate and create a world that has already ended several times over. Right. Right. It just hasn't right. ended us. You know, right. in which this right. poem, this poem taps into are, is, are we the last of it? Are we the last thing uh, is the collective we, the collective living beings? Are we the last thing at the end of all of this consumption of yeah. all the apocalyptic consumption? And so this poem actually aligns. I recently taught um, this poem alongside Franny's The World Keeps Ending and The World Keeps Going On, because I think they're in conversation with each other, um, which isn't, you know, there's not a for me i don't think it's pessimism there's a realism in the approach to this work that says the end of the world we have we are living in a world that has already been ended right um and how do we survive the best we can while we kind of wait for the final ending what that sounds horrible i feel like well (laughs) well that's fine what is there to do? Well, you know, I mean, now, I, so like, yeah. I love what happens in this poem um, when it's like the the central question of this poem is there's seeking a name for the thing, uh, seeking a name for the thing beyond apocalypse is a way to kind of spend time, right? To spend fulfilling time, um, to name what will kill you, so that you can share a bond or a kinship over simply discussing it with anyone, with someone you love. You know, I I really love the, like, the kids are calling it this, the kids are calling it this, the kids are calling it this. Um, I wanted to ask you about those lines. So please talk about them. What do you love about them? I mostly adore um, the kind of awe that, you know, we're talking about a naffer again, but the kind of, wow, the exclamation point for folks who can't see the poem, this kind of revelatory entry that is a bit like, bitingly sarcastic as well um but it doesn't i don't know how to word this well it's not a hard it's not a sarcasm that feels harsh it's a sarcasm that feels very resigned you know like how the kids Mm -hmm. are calling it this and the kids are calling it a crisis as if it is someone who perhaps in their younger as a younger self also called it these things before they became exhausted by the realities of it and 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 I come right. to that conclusion because we come out of that enough that moment of anaphora with the central question of what, what what does it mean to name the thing that will kill you? That means at least for me, like the speaker has not settled on a name. They have instead settled on a question. You know, right. which actually I think, you know, that to me makes the poem far more fascinating um, right. than had had the speaker in the poem decided, well, I've, I've come, I've come to a name and I am renaming this. And this is, you know, like I, I I love a poem that ends on an unresolved question. And, um, you know, this, this does that extremely well. But um, yeah, yeah, no, please. But right, right before we get to that ending, we get the, the line. I, I, I mean, it's a great line break again. I'd love an ending line break less severe, right? Less severe. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I remember the first time I read this poem, I got that line. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> it was a very, there's not, there's not a lot of, um, in poems. I feel like there's not a lot of moments where I kind of happily shrug and say, yeah, I think, I think I would too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think, yeah. Um, I, I think 
Um, and then that line bends <laughs> right around into the into like this yeah. job interview talk. What are your, what strengths, are your strengths, and weaknesses? strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, yeah. And I actually like um, the question for me became less severe than what, but then the poem everything that happens in every movement of the poem before that answers the question a poem right. less severe, or a, a an ending less severe than working towards an towards or working in the midst of an ending you know yeah um, right all of this this poem is is i think truly hovering plainly the idea of what it means to give your time towards workforce labor in a world that is ending and i say that to say Mm -hmm. um a few like a couple months ago my therapist referred to me as an apocalyptic romantic which means that um all of my impulses around romance rely on the reality of the world is ending and so there's an urgency around my romantics because it is all kind of filtered through the lens of the world ending right i have to I have to grab my friends and hold them close and tell them how much I love them because the world is ending. Or I have to tell this person who I met at a party that I would like to take them on a date because I mean, I would not tell them to be fair individually at the world, but the, the, the mind, the impulse in the mind is that, which it's means like, that it's like, like the scene in like in a movie where an airplane's going down and they right. like you, you grab the person next to you or kiss the person you've wanted to yeah. kiss or whatever. Right. But and I, on I, a I more actually, serious scale, on yeah. a much more serious scale. Yeah. I think that this poem is operating through that lens it's operating through this lens of if if what i understand about apocalypse the apocalyptic nature of the world we are in is true i don't have a lot of time and i don't really want to spend that time in an office or at a mm -hmm. in, in, and i think actually by doing that it um you know, I think that one way that labor gets romanticized in this country, I can't speak for other countries, but definitely in America, is because there's this idea about nobility and work. And now I think there's, right. um, I was just talking to a friend about this last night, like I think there is truly, I think if one feels good about the work they're doing, there is nobility in it. And I, and I don't think any jobs are, um, I don't want to veer into some kind of thing where we're looking down on work because, right. um, you know, workers are important and workers are vital but slash and um there is also the impulse in this country that is a little bit more nefarious to me which mm -hmm. implies that one should be defined by their labor no matter how noble the labor is or no matter how you even feel about it you can be the person who says i love my job i am a teacher and i love my students i love the impact i have on these lives and i love my job but if you are only defined by your labor at the end of the world, then you have, that is treason to everyone you love outside of whatever your container of labor is. That's treasonous to the people who are within your reach, who are also waiting victims for an apocalypse, right? And so um, that perhaps Say, is say my... more about treasonous. I'm curious about that word. I want to I understand. Yeah. You, I mean, I understand why that might be a sad state of affairs or not what I would want, but, um, the, but, but the word treason has surprised worse. me and I want to understand that. Yeah. I think it's worse than that. Like, I think, you know, if I know what I know, if I am witnessing the world the same way that people I love are witnessing the world and granted we might be witnessing it at different volumes mm -hmm. at any given time, but we're all bearing witness to the horrors of the world and whatever descents into 
an ending that the world is reaching, the world as we know it, at least. And if we have the historical memory of the many ways the world has ended in our lifetime or has accelerated the, the process of ending, then we actually um, need each other. We need each other mm -hmm. in ways that are not defined by what we produce. Mm -hmm. Right? I, mm -hmm. I need to see the people I love as something greater than vessels for production of things. And so I think if, if someone gets so wrapped up in their identity as a worker slash producer, because again, um, this is all, this is, even if you are, again, doing work you love, it is not necessarily always serving yourself. It is serving someone else who is profiting off of your labor, which is how it works, right? But right. at the same time, to define oneself by that in the midst of a world that is ending means that there are, um, I think, and I can only speak for myself, I guess. If I were to define myself by my work as the world was ending, then I think it would be very painful for me in my final moments. Mm -hmm. um, it would be lonely for me too. I think there, that to, so by treasonous, I mean, you are not allowing yourself the fullness of comfort that is waiting for you on the other side of your labor. Uh -huh. And that uh -huh. at the end of, I mean, at, at the, at the end of the world, that will be the end for all of us or at the end of your individual world. If you outlive yes, whatever right. at the end of your individual world, um, there has well, to be something touchable that, that, that makes it that so that you feel, um, you know, your life was defined by something greater. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess by definition, in a kind of literal way, none of us has um, witnessed the end of the world, at least in one sense. In another sense, I guess we're witnessing it all the time. All the time. And if you have ever done something as, um, I mean, not ordinary is the wrong word, but um, as old as time and every life or most every life, I think in one way or another will include it as to like, see someone die. Mm -hmm. Um, then you might know some, something about what, what it is to, to sort of live in the presence of apocalypse. Um, how to, how to, you know, that question you asked, you said that so many people, friends of yours are asking recently, like, how do we, like, how do we go, like, how do we keep living our lives now? Um, right. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's a very real question. I, I, I have one last question for you, Hanif, um, before um, I thought maybe we could end by my asking you to read the poem again, but before before I get to that, you know, you're talking about just now about the what might be treasonous about letting yourself, letting your life or your value as a human being be defined by the work that you do, um, the job that you have, um, or or the work that you do, even if it's not a job in the technical sense of things, and and the work that you do as a producer of things, I think was a, a phrase you used. So my question is how, if at all different, or what difference would it make, if any, if those things that you're a producer of are things like art or 
poems or songs or essays or is that is that really am i is that a kind of a naive question you know i don't think is, it's a naive is question that, is that work is that the same kind of work or, or is you know might it be i don't know no i mean that's well, my question I, to be clear i don't think any work is you know I, I don't think it's the same kind of work there's a difference i am very aware of the fact that what my life is different now than it was when i was working a serving job in a call center job right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and it would be foolish of me to insist that um all labor is labor but but to 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 insist upon to to ignore the different tones of labor in the different mm -hmm. class also mm -hmm. the different class intersections right. and the uh, different abilities afforded by the intersections of class and work um and so mm -hmm. all of that is different but but also yeah i mean i i, I mean i say often and i know people who have heard me do q and a say have heard me say this often i would um it would bother me a great deal if I were only remembered as someone who wrote things that people liked. It would bother uh -huh. me a, a great, great deal because um, I feel very fortunate that I have a life of varied interest in a lot of um, in a lot of touchstones, like uh, other people who keep me afloat. And I have a community I love and I have organizing community I love and I live in a city I love and all these things can't just be reflected in my work and then not touched in my real life. You know, I can't, um, I can't name my friends in my work and then not text them back, even though I'm not great yeah. at texting people back. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. I, I feel like a, in, in this mode of my life and this in the past month specifically, I've been bad at texting people back, but, um, I think, I think I get many it. people have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but I, I, do, you know, I, I, I want to live a life that is larger than my work always, yeah. and that would that would be the same if that'd be if like my work was uh, as a marketing director, or if right. my work was at a server as a server at a diner, or if my work was working the night shift at a hotel, or if my work was someone who wrote books. I want to live a life right. that far outpaces what I produce. So, so what I'm hearing you say is a kind of response to. Um, a, a strong response to that line, which I know you know. Um, I feel like it's a, um, a a version of a tradition of a line from traditional song. The you know from from um, Gillian Welsh's "I Dream a Highway, Lord, Let Me mm -hmm. Die with a Hammer in My Hand." Yeah, yeah you don't want to do like that. It sounds John like you Henry, don't want to do that, right? No, That's the John yes, Henry idea. Yeah, John Henry idea. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I yeah. I, I want to build a life where I could just stop and do something else if I wanted to. Someone, mm -hmm. you know, every time I finish a book, I make peace with the reality of that might be the last one. Could yep. be the last one, right? Like there's always this year was a project that I dreamed up and pursued. You know, I got to the end of it. I said, this, I might not have another book in me. And right. I, and I have to make peace with the reality that, I have given enough and I've, 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 you know, I have so much gratitude. Most people don't get to write six books, you know, mm -hmm, uh, see, we don't get to write one. <laughs> and so, um, I, I think that I, I really am someone who makes peace with what I have done and, and have so much gratitude for what I've been able to do. And then kind of much like this poem, I, I, um, I'm skeptical of planning for the future. Yeah because the future feels uncertain in so many ways that don't seem to deserve planning. Yeah. Um, well, you've done enough today. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to thank you for it. Um, thank I, you I for really, having me. I really want to thank you for this conversation. I wonder if you could send us out, Hanif, with um, maybe just uh, maybe I lied. You haven't done quite enough. Would you read the poem for us one more time? I would love to. I love this poem. Would love to read it again. Thank you. Job security. I tell M I'd love to have something lined up. What a particular post-apocalyptic peculiarity, comfort in the planned future. The refrain of flaming trees only goes so far. The fire has to stop once it has burnt the last of it down. Are we the last of it? I can't apply for jobs without thinking of the funeral. I tell my mother I'm not having children because I don't trust the world they'd grow into. The truth is I'd rather keep my money, my sanity, etc. We are looking at shirts that go hard online. We are looking at the carcasses of houses. We are looking at each other, thinking of when we could have held hands. What does job security taste like through the smoke? What does apocalypse feel like when it keeps fucking going? What do we call it now? I remember thinking, wow, the kids are calling it an emergency. Wow, the kids are calling it a crisis. Wow, the kids are calling it an apocalypse. What does it mean to name the thing that will kill you? you i'd love to have something lined up i'd love an ending less severe what are your strengths and weaknesses what does it mean to name the thing that will kill you well, that was hanif abdurraqib reading job security by uman kalra um hanif um it's been a gift uh to get to talk with you for the last hour and uh i want to thank you again for it thank you this was a real pleasure i love the show it's an honor to be here Mm, yeah well um thanks again and thank you dear thank you dear listeners for um hanging out with us we'll we'll have more for you soon be well everyone